Welcome to Thought Cops, coming to you live from the mean streets of Neo Chicago. I am Officer Kevin. And I'm Officer Grant. Hey, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, smash the notification button, ring the bell so you get alerted to new episodes. And if you do all that, it makes it so we can keep the lights on every week. Uh, and for bonus episodes and more, head on over to patreon.com slash thoughtcops to support the channel. I am reading that, as you Dude, can see clearly. Like, I had this moment, we, we hit record. And like, I forgot the intro to the show. <laughs> this it was over 300 episodes. I don't know what the fuck happened. I just was like sitting here and I forgot I get, what to say. It's probably because like, I'm here. The pressure's on now. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We have Derek of Mega64, Derek Acosta. How's it going, man? It's going good. Happy to be here with the thoughts police officers. Thank you know, you. I was thinking it's like, nice uh, to feel respected. It is a term of respect that I use. Thought cops is a little bit derogatory. I guess there's a spectrum to what you could be known as. Um, people who really hate you would call you the thought pigs. Um, That'd be fucked up. And then yeah. people We're doing who, a public service. Yeah. And then like the fascist bootlickers would prefer to call you like the thought enforcement agency, you know, just elevate your government status to, uh, far reaching. You know what? I think I want to no see the oversight. discord server. The discord server needs to start using that term of endearment for us. The thought police officers or the thought enforcement agency, the enforcement agency. I like yeah. how that sounds very official. It's very official. The yeah. T E A. Yeah, yeah. And you're basically like Mulder and Scully of like, um, the internet at this point. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, happy to be here. Thanks <laughs> yeah, for how's having it going, me. Man? Uh, Derek, I want to talk to you today. Uh, let's just cut right to it. You have a new horror comic coming out. Uh, there's a Kickstarter for the uh, project live right now. It's called Phobia. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's called Phobia. If you go on Kickstarter and you look up Phobia with an F, because apparently I don't know how to spell F O B I A. Just kidding. It was on purpose. Uh, you'll yeah, find. No, I actually, my... <laughs> I saw. Yeah, it, I, this is like a small thing. I saw uh Garrett post about. The, the comic book and I saw he spelled it like P-H-O-B-I-A and I was like wait did I spell it wrong? Then I went back and checked in the document like no I had it right uh, I guess well I never showed him the documents we just talked about it conversationally so kudos to him that he actually you know he spelled phobia correctly to his mm -hmm. credit I purposely yeah. made it hard and fucked it up but uh do you think autocorrect is, is going to be your enemy when like marketing this book? People are going to be typing in the name of the book, trying to find it, and like, oh, I guess I can't find no, it. No, 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 no. That's not no. how you spell that word. No, no, no. Yeah, it'll be PH. fine. You know what is sucks is I meticulously read. Why does this always happen? I meticulously Google searched and researched. Like, there's nothing else called phobia, right? No, you're good. And then I officially titled the book, and all this stuff called phobia, spelled F O B I A, started coming up in my search results, and I was like, I researched this. Um, but as far as I know, there is no other comic book anthology. So I'm in the clear. There's like a band, there's, uh, some anime from the eighties, but no That's competing, good. um, product in the horror anthology section of the bookstore. So we're yeah, there, there was, I think, what was it, Grant? There was another podcast called Thought Police or, we're not, you know, we're going to talk about uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, there, there, there's a couple there's different songs. ones. There were some thought cops t-h-o-t cops uh we don't talk mm -hmm. about that uh, uh there was thought police i thought i was on that podcast is this not that podcast uh, sorry it's okay yeah, we'll just move on yeah pass um <laughs> couple yeah. couple of banger songs called thought cops it happens i mean i yeah i would hate to um 
I would hate to like be trying to start a band or a podcast in this day and age with how every name gets taken for everything. Yeah. You know, every good name difficult. is taken. So you have yeah. to just purposely have a, a bad name, but it is phobia. Uh, it's on Kickstarter. I call it phobia horror comic. That's the, uh, Instagram if people want to follow it. And I have been told, I don't know if this is true. You can look this up for yourself. Thought cop viewers. It is currently the number one horror anthology on Kickstarter right now. Wow. With no promotion, with no outside promotion, just entirely bootstrapping it from the ground up. I've been promoting this on like my Twitter and my Instagram. And I've been going around with Mega64. We did packs last week. We did a live show. We actually did packs two weeks ago, three weeks ago. We did a live show a week and a half ago in San Diego. And between those two live events, I literally like punk rock style went to Kinko's and printed out like hand flyers with a QR code on it. And I was like handing them out to people. Uh, Go to my pre-launch page, my Kickstarter pre-launch page. The thing wasn't even live yet. Just telling people to follow it. So Mm -hmm. that's the promotion that I've been doing. And when we launched it on Thursday, I think it's been up for three days now. It blew me away. I didn't expect... You know, I had so much fear going into this because we're asking for way more money that I wanted that I felt comfortable asking for. I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I've definitely heard that. I feel like uh, we, we've we had a number of um, and we'll continue to have a number of comic creators um, yeah. On, yeah, on the show yeah. specifically actually, recently. Do you um, know uh, Cheesy Man Fredo? I think he called into like your show once to talk about that uh, Mick yeah, Pog- he did Pagliacci. the Pagliacci, Mick Pagliacci. Yeah, yeah we had the McDonald's Pagliacci. Yeah, yeah, he seemed like a cool. I I should work with him for Phobia. Yeah, uh, in, how's he? How's Cheesy McFredo doing these days? He's good. He's got he's a new good. comic out too. Episode three hundred seven of. Uh, he just also released a horror comic um, called okay. Extra Souls. That's the move. It's Halloween Honestly. time. Yeah, it's the season to to scare people. It is so, the spooky season. But yeah, I have heard like, you know, uh, they'll yeah. set or I, I can't remember. Someone on the show said something about that. Maybe that was uh, Grant from um, 3GI said something about like asking for more money than like you're comfortable with. But just because like you have to fund things and whatever. I don't remember who said that, but it was yeah. on here and yeah. someone said it. But like, Somebody you know, you ask it. for more, but you say like, ah, but you know, this is what this is how much things cost. Like, it I does. Would love to give things out for free, but. You know, it does cost this much money to do all these things. Mm -hmm. I'll break it down for you because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to like ask for favors. Uh, I I didn't draw the comic. First of all, I I wrote it. I created it. This was something I wanted to do back in 2014 and was working with some local artists in San Diego on for a short while. And we made some like rough sketches, but then the, it kind of just fell through and I put it on the shelf. Never Mm -hmm. thought it would happen again was kind of sad about it and in 2019 no 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 no, not 2019 last year 2022 was contacted by a comic book creator who's a fan of mega 64 his name is gone yimki a cool guy and he asked if i had any comic book ideas because he knew i was a big comic fan so i pitched Mm -hmm. phobia and we've been working on it ever since and he kind of put me in touch with some artists and I got comfortable with the comic book creating process. I started uh, reaching out to artists that I knew on my own and I wanted to make sure everybody got paid for their work. I didn't want to yeah. rip anybody off. I didn't want right. to be, uh, you know, skeezy, shady. I wanted to, I wanted to take care of everybody. 
Um, so everybody on the project is getting paid. I paid for it out of pocket, you know, just to get the thing done. Yeah. And because, um, because I'd never made a comic before, I didn't want to go to Kickstarter right away because the stigma with Kickstarter is that you don't know what you're doing and you're going to ask for money and then you're just going to blow it because right. <laughs> you, you just want the money and you have no plan. Many right? such cases. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be one of those cases. So I felt like I have to create comics before I ask for, before I launch the Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, so we were going to create one issue and then I was like, I can't really launch a Kickstarter with just one issue. Um, the plan was to do six issues total. So we created the first three, which is they're like two stories plus some host segments, uh, all written by me. And, uh, they're, they're actually like the process of creating those three comic books made me feel so proud and so confident because as the stories were coming in, I was like, holy shit, this is like some of the coolest stuff I've ever made. That's what I was. I was literally like reading the stuff, the artists, my words, but the artists had illustrated them. And I was like, this is mm-hmm. way better than I ever imagined it could be. Um, So all the artists got paid and I did some calculation on how much they needed to get paid. And I thought, you know what? If I just had like 6,000 bucks, I could pay all the artists and this would be, we'd be good. And that's what I was originally going to ask for. Um, but then like, man, Kickstarter has been my life for the past like two months in launch and planning to launch this and putting together the process. I read. Yeah, I, I can imagine. It, there's, it's pretty, it's a pretty media yeah. campaign. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of, which is good because a lot of people don't have the organization you have or don't have all the, you know, stretch goals and everything in mind that you do. But actually, before we do talk about this more, I do have some more questions. But can we watch the uh, the campaign video, Grant? Yeah, I can uh, pull it up thanks to the magic of screen sharing. That is amazing. Uh, sure. Yeah. Invented well, I was, in, yeah. I'll get back to the story of why it costs so much money, but we'll, we'll yeah. watch the campaign video yeah, first. We'll, we'll yeah, we'll put a pin in it and uh, we'll check this out. If you're watching this at home, this looks great. If you're listening at home, uh, imagine some scary images. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that part. So that was an incredible video, Derek. Uh, watch the whole thing at home. Thanks. Don't be like us unless you got Derek in the room with you. You can ask him more questions, which we're about to do. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about a little bit about the financial situation with Kickstarter, like how much to ask for, what is appropriate, what is too much, too little. That yeah. seems very confusing. Basically, like I was saying, I, uh, I was only going to ask for like six or $7,000 just to get the thing funded, but Kickstarter has taken over my life for the past two months. And I've pretty much read every piece of documentation, advice, strategy, um, that you can find provided by Kickstarter and provided by other companies. I've, mm-hmm. I, I never intended to educate myself so much on the uh, topic of crowdfunding, but I wanted to make sure I did it right. Oh, and for sure. are, yeah, yeah. It's like so much stuff that I'm not even like, comp- like reaching out to press outlets, like how to how to reach out to the press outlets, like how to find their contacts and make your story appetizing to journalism, uh, mm-hmm. which nobody wrote about the Kickstarter. So I kind of failed on that point. But anyways, yeah. So doing the Kickstarter calculator, it was paying the artist, but then printing the actual book was a couple thousand dollars and then shipping the book from the printer to my house was an additional cost and then shipping costs to send the physical books out from my house to the backers 
including the envelopes, the stamps, um, the shipping fees. And then you have to actually pay taxes on the money you raise from what? Kickstarter. Yeah, so you have to factor that into, and then Kickstarter, it's uh, understandable, but they take a little cut as well. They take Bastards. between uh, five and 10%. So you have to factor that in too. Um, so when you crunch all the numbers, that's how I arrived at my ultimate cost, which was $19,000, basically. That's crazy. That's yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. That is um, when you hear artists talk about things, that is always like uh, the obligatory. This is my least favorite part of this is the the marketing and the, the number crunching and whatnot. But it's obviously, yeah, if you're going to do something like this, uh, yeah. you know, very necessary. Well, it's little secret about me. I actually really like number crunching. Uh, I, I just like to be like accurate with the stuff that I do. So I felt it actually gave me more confidence to, you know, when I realized like, oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Just asking for like a random ass number, like yeah, crunching the numbers and getting an accurate like target of like this pays for this and this pays for that. And like, this is the core amount of money I need to really do this project. It made me feel like, good so Mm -mm. you know then i just felt like i just needed to convey that to the audience um we launched it and my fear was that i wouldn't hit that goal you know that i would get like the original amount like five thousand dollars then it would just stop but it has pretty much like we're on day four now and we're like 85 percent funded which is very exciting for me very humbling they're, um, we're going to give you the thought cops push and just get you over that hump at the end. Yeah. That's why I'm here, baby. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, this is what it's all about. If every one of our listeners donates, I don't know, $1, you'll have $1. Well, no, you know what? More than that. Again, I crunched the numbers and I was like, I only need 500 people to, to buy into this book, which is not an unreasonable number. Mm-hmm. And it's not an extremely high number. And currently I'm at like 300 and something, 300 like 30 backers. I think a lot of people have been um, signing up for the higher reward tiers, which again, like makes me feel really happy and just grateful, humbled and enthusiastic about the whole thing. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, just to see people excited for something you're excited about is like, that's just like, that just gets you to exactly where you need to be with this kind of thing. Yeah, right. And I want to say too, like this is like obviously a bit different than like Mega 64 videos, which you've been doing for so long. Do you feel like sort of refreshing or refreshed working on something that's like completely different than YouTube sketch comedy? Um, well, yeah, I love horror. Yeah. And I'm always surprised to find out that there's so many people out there who do not like horror content because it's like my favorite genre. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it, it, I will be honest, it doesn't have like the same impact for me that it does for some people because I feel like there are like, I feel like with horror people, like they are like all in on horror. A lot of people I know, like yeah. I can appreciate it, but I feel like there is a level of like people who love horror watch like everything they can get their hands on, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that there is um, a lot of bad horror. Horror to me is like pizza. Even when it's <laughs> bad, it's good. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that analogy before too. It's just like, there is definitely like there 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 is like a a certain like something to it. And I think what draws people to horror is because there's such a specific thing you can get there 
that you cannot get anywhere else. There's like a cheesiness that's like, whether it's like you said, good or bad or anything, it's just there's, it's still horror yeah. and it still holds that element of like something for people. That, At its like, best, really does something. I feel like, you know, it'll give you chills. It'll make you shiver run up your spine. You'll feel like this feeling inside the pit of your stomach, which I just think is like a fun, alluring feeling. Um, and at its worst, you're seeing people pretend to murder each other yeah, <laughs> in horror movies and they're being so dumb and it looks so bad and it's just like comedically bad. So, um, the only, the only bad horror is when it's in the middle, when like it's taking itself seriously and then they're not like being per- uh, horribly like gory and awful and bad. And it's just, yeah, like, yeah. the only, the, the, when it sucks is when it's boring. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, like, what do you would you get scared by horror movies still? Like if you've seen like so many of them, horror movies, horror comics, horror anything, or do you just kind of appreciate the pulpiness of them at this point? I will tell you a horror movie doesn't scare me like it did when I was a kid. But horror video games, I can't fuck with those, dude. I don't. That's, that's a bridge too far way the horror video game for whatever reason is too scary for me i don't like them i mean i i like watching people play them but i can't play them with a horror movie you just sit there and like it happens you you cover your face or whatever right. but the movie You're will not progress a yeah a horror yeah. video game it's like me stuck in a room trying to solve a puzzle while a guy's gonna like pop out of any corner and kill me at any moment and it like it's way too anxiety inducing have There's you played one... any of the horror VR games? No, no. Okay, I was gonna say like that sounds like it would be traumatic. It would be traumatic. Uh, I played a Steam game called The Mortician's Assistant, and it was too scary. I had to turn. it I off. I heard about that. That looked like pretty disgusting. It's real. It's yeah. It's yeah. very much like body horror. You're you're literally like taking cadavers and preparing them for uh, funerals. You're doing funeral preparations on them mm-hmm. and it's super gory. You're like pumping the formaldehyde into them. You're like sewing their orifices shut. So if you are like, and by the way, I can't even watch like medical documentaries. I'm, I get so queasy. That's different like, though. Like I, I couldn't do that either. Like I could, I feel like I can watch like any horror movie, anything and be like, you know, get get something out of it but not be like too disgusted by it but yeah. like a, a fucking like medical documentary like that is a i know it's not props i know it's real i don't like that yeah i'm a visual person and i'm an empathetic person too and i just feel like i feel the pain and the trauma when i watch that stuff and it just makes yeah. me feel bad the mortician's assistant you're doing that stuff to i mean it's a video game but you're doing that stuff to the cadavers and then like ghosts of the people like show up and demons are there and it's just like i don't like bad time i'm I'm (laughs) one of those i'm one of those i don't get horror people um too scary i get horror people but i i don't get horror and i am a person is what i mean by that um yeah too scary i don't like it i don't want to be scared well frightening you know, some horror movies are just fun. Like, they're not even that scary uh, as yeah, an adult. Yeah. You know, like... Uh, I mean, one of my favorite movies is, like, Evil Dead 2, and that's, like, your classical... Well, there you go. You know, whatever. Evil Dead 2, Return of the Living Dead, even, like, my favorite series is the Friday the 13th slasher film series, and that's not even necessarily, I think, at this point, because it's been around for 30 years. I don't think those would scare you, but the later ones in the series, like... um six, seven, and eight, they're like so cheesy and campy. Uh, right. They're just like entertaining uh, and like, yeah. I don't know. 
I think Can that they're fun to watch. Yeah. Do you consider David Lynch to be horror or no? Um, is David Lynch horror? I think that David Lynch is like horror adjacent, but you know, I don't think he does like straight horror films. I think. Okay. Cause I feel like I've always like when people ask me what I like, I'm like, Oh, I like, obviously I like David Lynch and people are like, that's not horror. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, well, it's scary yeah. on a, it's scary in the way I like it to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like stuff that's like psychologically scary yeah. or not even like scary per se, but disturbing and like makes you unsettled in a weird way that makes your skin crawl uh, besides of like, you know, somebody popping out of a door really fast. I mean, obviously jump scares are sort of controversial in general, but yeah, you know, he does, you know, like thrillers and suspense films. Um, now, I haven't seen every David Lynch movie, so I'm sure people out there will be like, well, this movie's a horror. Yeah. Um, I have heard that about um, Mulholland Drive. People have like listed that as like, you know, top 10 horror films. And it's like, and I, I sort of get it, I guess, because there's some, you know, some elements of that in that movie. Yeah. But um, Mulholland Drive, overall, that's with uh, Naomi Campbell, right? Yeah. 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 I've, I love that movie. I would consider that more of like a psychological thriller. Yeah. Um, spoiler, I'll spoil the movie. I feel like that movie is about a, a, a woman who has lost her mind. Like literally she's had a break with reality and you're yeah. just watching the movie through her perspective. Um, now that there's this, pretty, yeah. there's that scene in that movie. I think that's the one where there's like the dumpster man, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is like a, that's a beautiful horror scene. Uh, and if that movie, if the whole movie was on that level, that would be like a amazing horror film. And that is like one of my like all time favorite scenes in any movie ever. Yeah. I just, I love every moment of it. I and think the rest a lot of, of the directors, a little bit different. I think a lot of directors will incorporate a horror scene or a horror element into an otherwise non horror movie. I remember yeah. watching minority report with Steven Spielberg. Uh, and there's a scene where. Tom Cruise has to go talk to this, uh, go like check out the psychic kids who are in the pool and they're just like floating there and he like gets real close and they like jump out of the pool and grab him. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you put a fucking jump scare in your sci-fi action movie. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's less expected there. Like when I watch a horror movie, I'm expecting probably at least one jump scare. When I'm watching Minority Report, that shit's going to make me like lose it because I'm like, I did not think that was going to happen. It honestly, it it um annoys me. I get angry when that happens. I appreciate like, I it. Know. I actually appreciate, you know, I think all great film directors can like play with the genre and kind of float in and out of different types of movies all within the scope of one film. It transcends right. genre. That's that's fair. Um, uh, and that's why he's the master. You know, he just he just throws a little horror scene at you and then he moves back into the action sci fi realm. Yeah, I think sort of uh, to Kevin's point, like anytime I try and like explain my relationship with like horror movies to people, I'll be like, I don't know, like perfect blue, you know, because that's not really horror. But I, I like like the psychological shit, you know, yeah. the the weird trippy like. Uh, there, there's something deep down about the idea of like, like body doubles and like that type of shit mm -hmm. where it's like, or like you're losing your grasp on reality and like, no matter what you do, you can't like gain it back is like yeah. horrifying to me, you know? For sure. I think thriller is a genre that is horror adjacent and suspense films are a genre that is horror adjacent. Um, but they're a little bit more subtle, a little bit more tactful. I right. think horror movies, 
it's hard to pin down like what separates them from a thriller other than like, I don't know, it's hard to put it into words, you know, showing you graphic stuff that. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, I, I don't even, I don't know how to put it into words either, but I also understand what you're saying. Like, there is a right. difference. Yeah. And I think the term, like, you used horror adjacent does make sense because, like, yeah, like, I, like, yeah, Mulholland Drive, Perfect Blue, I, in my head, they feel horror-ish, but when I think of, like, a horror movie, I don't maybe yeah. think of that specifically, I guess. They have scary plots and scary premises, but they don't yeah. kind of, like... They don't like scare you. And I yeah. think maybe that was like part of my issue with them growing up. It's just like, I don't know. It, it doesn't it doesn't click with me. But some of the other shit does click with me. And then I guess I do sort of develop a little bit of more of an appreciation. I think that what uh, helped me get over uh, my issues with it was watching that uh, super iPad, uh, super eyepatch wolf video on horror shit. If anyone's okay. seen that, um, I feel like that was a Somebody- good um explanation um he, i haven't seen that one but those super eye patch wolf makes awesome videos yeah, I yeah. Seen the, hey i seen the simpsons one yeah i saw his wrestling one and uh he basically just explains like genres really well yeah yeah and he uh i think specifically sort of uh went into the world of like horror manga and it was like oh i can, I can see like where you're you know the idea of like yeah um like why why someone would seek some of this shit out and like what people get out of it and i was like i kind of i kind of get it a little yeah. more yeah yeah i've actually so been is, reading um oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. no i was just no, saying, i've been reading ahead. uh i've been reading a lot because i've been reading a lot more manga lately like in the last i feel like i i kind of fell out of manga for a while and it wasn't until like probably lockdown when i started rereading some old series and then like my old roommate uh friend of the show nico had a ton of like manga in our apartment. So it was like a little, it was like a lending library in our home and I could just read a bunch of different series off the shelf. And uh, I never read anything from Junji Ito until like maybe like a year or two ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking great. I don't Have you ever read anything by him like Uzumaki or anything like that? Junji Ito was like a big influence, inspiration um, in writing Phobia. I tried to read a little bit of every different style of horror comic out there. Junji Ito, I feel like, actually is one of the few people who transcends, like, his mangas, I think, are just good standalone horror uh, Mm -hmm. medias, you know? Like, even if you don't like manga or comic books, like, I recommend reading Junji Ito. I read his, like, short, um, compilation of shorts. Uh, Which one? Shiver and Smashed. Yeah, Smashed was so good. That's my favorite one by him, like, the one with the... uh, the, the fruit or whatever that was so delicious that people couldn't oh, stop eating. Yeah, an so allegory brilliant. for mosquitoes. That was yeah. really inspiring to me because he based this whole amazing horror story off the idea of like, what if we were mosquitoes? Yeah. You know? Which yeah, isn't no. even like clear. I had to like read the book, read the story a couple times and then like, oh, I get it. It's mosquitoes. Uh, he's got the the Junji Ito anime is actually coming out, I think, next year. Yeah, I've been... Kind of excited because I remember uh, the Uz- they, Uzumaki, not just Junji Ito. Sorry, yeah. yeah, they they did like a short teaser trailer for that, like in 2020, and I was like, oh, this looks incredible. If they're still going with the same art style and whatnot, yeah. it's sort of like black and white ish, sort of whatever. Yeah, I think colors used like when needed Sparingly, or something. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Derek, we actually have a question here from one of our uh, one of our listeners here from Joe. Okay, 
Uh, he says, hey guys, been a fan for a long time and have always enjoyed the way that Derek talks about horror over the years and I'm really excited for Phobia. Just wondering what your favorite type of horror is and if there's anything in particular you'd like to see done more often. If I can stick a third question in too, then what do you think is the best medium for horror? I've been really into horror audiobooks lately. It feels so different to horror in film, but I'm not so sure why. Thank you, Joe. Horror? I can, I can give you oh, yeah. the bullet points though if you want. No, to. I get it. Like horror audiobooks. I'll, I'll start backwards. I haven't read, uh, I haven't listened to any horror audiobooks. But horror fiction books have pretty much been, for the last few years, the only thing that I've really been interested in reading. Um, I read this book called The Terror, and I think it's my favorite book of all time. It's by this author named Dan Simmons, and it's about the real world, real life, uh, like 1800s, 19th century expedition um, from these people who were looking for the Northwest Passage, mm-hmm. um, trying to sail through Antarctica. This really happened in real life. It was on a boat mm-hmm. called the HMS Terror in real life. And they got frozen into the Antarctic and they were never seen again. So he uses that as a jumping off point. So it's like a historical fiction uh, horror of what happened to them when they were frozen in the ice up there. And it's they made an AMC show about it that I think the adaptation was not that good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the book. As far as like, what's my favorite genre of horror? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite genre. I think I like it all. I like zombie movies. I like slasher movies. I like demonic possession movies. I like... How about horror comedies? I like horror comedies too. Do you feel like there... And I'll just insert my own question here. Do you feel like there is... um? Because I've heard people say that there's a certain part of the brain or whatever that's just, that responds the same to like comedy and horror. And that's yeah. why they tend to go well the, together. The amygdala. Do you, yeah. Do you think, think that's so. true? Uh, yeah. In fact, I felt like when I was writing Phobia, I was like, you know... I can lean on my comedy background for writing these horror stories. Sure, yeah. Um, so for my book, one thing that I feel like is that people's attention spans are very short. And my attention span is very short. And I don't like stuff that drags on. So I purposely made all my stories short stories. They're like five to seven pages. And they all have like a twist ending. I was also inspired by this uh, sci-fi anthology written by Alan Moore called Future Shocks, where everything is like five to seven pages and has a twist ending. And I read that Future Shocks was originally used. It was Alan Moore wrote it, but a bunch of artists contributed uh, Mm -hmm. to the book. There was like a company that made Future Shocks. And whenever they had a new artist or writer, they would ask them to do a Future Shocks to test them. And they would say, like, let's see what you can do in five to seven pages. If it's good, you're on the team. If it sucks, now we know you suck and we didn't waste a lot of time. (laughs) Yeah. And so because I'm new, I felt like I need to prove that I can do this. I'm going to do the test. You know, I'm going to prove that I don't suck. I'm going to basically do my own future shocks, five to seven pages with a twist ending. And that's kind of, you know, it's similar to making people laugh, right? You have Mm -hmm. to do a setup that's interesting. And then you give them an unexpected twist at the end. In comedy, the unexpected twist is funny and it makes them laugh. In horror, the unexpected twist is tragic and it kind of yanks the rug out from underneath them. And it's like, oh, fuck. Like, oh, I, I didn't want that to happen. You know? Right. You no, know, that makes a lot of sense. Would you say that like um, phobia is uh, more of like a straight up horror um, venture? Or would you say that some of those comedic elements like maybe like play through more purposefully? 
you know, on, on more of like the conscious level than like the subconscious level of just going like, ah, I have this experience with this. Let me use this. But like, yeah. are there elements of it that are like inherently supposed to be like a little bit funny in any sort of way? Or is yeah. it just sort of, you know, I just think that it's my personality type basically is on paper. Like the way I view the world is, man, this shit is fucked up and I can't cope unless I am finding a way to laugh at it on some level same and i just think that that comes through in in my horror stories like no matter what they all they all seem like on some level in my opinion a little bit funny even though some of them are like really fucked up right that there's Mm. uh stories about like serial killers in there there's stories about like um salicious men trying to maybe take advantage of girls and you know what happens to them as they you know as karma catches up to them and in a way there's a there's a lot of like irony in these stories that you kind of like go oh fuck but then you're like "Eh, well i guess he kind of deserved it you know Mm -hmm. um and then as i wrote on i just really wanted to be entertaining and so a lot of the stuff i think is for example, I was really watching, I'll tell you a, a story that we're working on for um, one of the later issues is um, it's based on all the reality TV shows that I've been watching on Netflix uh, with my wife. We watch a lot of like reality TV, like dating and romance shows like Love is Blind yeah. and The Ultimatum. And, you know, I love trash reality TV. So there's a story that I wrote called Love is Dead. And it's like a trash reality TV dating show. And it starts with all these like sexy people, like just like these shitty MTV Netflix reality dating shows. But on Love is Dead, um, when you don't match with somebody, you get killed. So it's like, um, you know, people go on a date and they're like, nah, actually, I don't think I want to be with you. And they hit a button and like the room fills with gas and the person's like skin melts (laughs) off their face. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like a vignette of like this really like heinous reality show from hell, basically. Right. Honestly, I've been watching a bunch of those uh, with my girlfriend. I think that uh, you and her were talking about a couple of them. I hope she turned you on to some uh, some good shows. Um, yeah, we kind of uh, went tit for tat because I think I've literally like watched <laughs> everything that's available. <laughs> hell yeah. Out there. Yeah, because uh, sometimes I'll be watching those and I'll just be like, man, I, I wish one of these people would die. <laughs> <laughs> some of these people are so awful yeah uh you you know if their life was on the line it would it would if not really that you know i don't want actual people to die but if it was a movie right. about you're on a reality show and you get killed if you don't like it would be so somebody, satisfying sometimes you know be. sometimes you you get out for blood with some of these people and then sometimes people have to you know you read a reddit thread and people are like these are real people blah 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 and it's like yeah kind of Who's that one guy from 90 Days Fiance? That would like that guy with like no neck. What's his name? Yeah. No neck. Ed. Big Ed. Uh, Ed. He's from yeah, San Diego. Yeah. That guy's like a horror monster already. <laughs> I've like seen Jason. him. Uh, around, I was like driving around town and I saw him like sitting on the uh, balcony of a restaurant, you know, just like I was like, oh, it's Big Ed. Does he, does he live in uh, San Diego? He's from San Diego. I don't know if he lives oh. here still, but yeah. Um. So, yes, you know, what's funny is, um, if you go back to that trailer, you'll see one of the, and it's all over the Kickstarter too. One of the, my favorite stories is one called Baked Beans. Mm-hmm. And on the very first story I was working with, I was working with this artist named Nick Goodwin from the UK. 
and we were working on a serial killer story. And he kind of complimented me. He's like, man, I just feel like I like your writing style. I feel like you could almost make a horror story out of anything, man. He's like, I feel like you could make a horror. You could make baked beans scary. And I was like, I'm going to write a story about baked beans. He's he's British. Yeah. That's the last thing he wants to hear. Ooh, scary beans. No. Yeah. They they also worst nightmare. They got different beans in Britain, too. Um, Yeah. I actually like them better. Beans do they eat? Uh, they they cook them in a tomato sauce instead of like uh your traditional oh. like barbecue sauce or whatever. Oh, so uh, baked beans are already kind of scary to him as a concept to begin with. Possibly, I see. Yeah, they throw that in as part of the uh, English breakfast, uh, which you know I'm I'm also a fan of. People like shitting on British food, but uh, I don't know. Throw a bunch of sausages on a plate, and I'm. Uh, well, don't a broken clock. Anyway, uh, I will say I I do feel like baked beans is um is inherently a funny thing. Yeah, so that's like sort of where my question came from because as we were seeing some of the stories and whatnot, I was like, beans. Like, is this supposed to be like a comedy? You know, whatever. Yeah, but But it's not funny. It's uh, yeah, it's a story about a man who is haunted by beans. Like everywhere he goes, like beans are showing up and they're tormenting him. He throws all the beans out of his house and he wakes up the next day and they're all back there. He wakes up in the middle of the night and his bed is filled with beans. That would suck. Does and, it end with uh, he he shoves a power drill into his uh, right temple? Uh, it, it, it ends even better. It ends even better. You find out his whole backstory. He uh, he's the heir to a bean fortune and he's inherited a bean factory. And uh you know what? He's a little bit of a psychopath. It's almost like a telltale heart type story where right. he did something. I was some, thinking of the movie Pie where he's uh, just. Oh, know. I never, you know, Darren Aronofsky. I, I don't think yeah. I've seen Pie. I've seen some other Aronofsky bangers, but I need to go uh, back to his. Uh, that's his first movie, right? Yeah, that's yeah. I think worth one watch. And I don't know if I'd watch it again. It's a little slow, but yeah. Ends with him power drilling his temple because it can't stop thinking of the movie. The the number Pie. You know what's crazy, Grant? Hmm. His other movie, The Whale, ends exactly the same. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know. Except it's a six-foot-long hoagie that he uh, <laughs> shoves into his face. He almost choked in a damn meatball sub. Yeah. Oh, that's a scary movie. I love The Whale, by the way. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. I love that um, the movie starts with this, like, well, whatever. We don't have to get into why I like The Whale. It starts, I feel it's like great. it depicted the most repugnant person you could imagine and it kind of sets out this challenge darren aronofsky is like okay you're gonna start by really being disgusted by this person and hopefully by the end of the movie you're gonna see what makes them beautiful very true Uh, yeah yeah so yeah interesting interesting movie uh if we can actually um switch gears for a second i did want to talk a little bit about mega 64 sure uh you guys just had 64x recently yeah. Uh seemed like it went off to a resounding success. It was a big hit. Thank you. Yeah, I um I've been very busy. I missed the stream myself, but I did catch some of the highlights. And I saw that you guys had uh you guys had some guests on there. You had Jay Weingarten. Uh-huh. And you had Nirvana the band. Yeah. And uh, I actually I played a very very tangential role in making that happen, believe it or not. I don't believe it. It's true. <laughs> uh so the guy um so our friend Slime Walker, whatever. Yeah, he's the he's the one who uh, basically facilitated the whole meeting to happen. Like he he looped Garrett in, got the whole thing to happen. But 
he was trying to get a hold of uh, of Matt Johnson for quite some time, and uh, Matt Johnson was in Chicago several months ago at the Music Box Theater for a screening of BlackBerry. Uh, amazing movie, by the way. Have, have you seen it? No, but I want to. Dude, you got to see it. It is. I, I think you'll like it a lot. Um, but he was there, and then like, and the slime was like, "Hey, after the movie, uh, can you go up to him and ask him?" when he's uh, going to PEI, which is like where he lives in Canada, it's like he was doing a screening there and like what his plans are. And I just like, I was like, fuck it. Sure. And I just went up to him and I was like, Hey man, love the movie. And I just asked him the question point blank. And he was like, Oh yeah, I'm going up for a friend's wedding. I'm like, Oh yeah. My friend, uh, my friend Walker was trying to like reach out to you for a film screening. So then he ended up getting back in touch with him. The screening happened. Uh, Slime gifted him a copy of version four and then looped him in. Nice. Nice. So yeah, just a little, just one of the little, uh, thank you. Well, what do you want? You want a, you want a royal, yeah, you want a commission want to brag fee? About myself. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> is that so much to ask for? Yeah. No, I, I had, I played very little role in making that happen, but it was still like, it was still cool to see you guys, you know, collaborate because I'm a big fan of you guys, big fan of them. Yeah. And I think they've you know? talked about Mega 64 before, you know, in yeah. one of their videos, like kind of a while ago. Wow. Yeah. So we did a call with Matt and, uh, he was very, um, you know, full of praise for Mega 64. It kind of makes me even feel like uncomfortable when you're talking to somebody who has so much success and they're like, oh my God, like you're so great. And I'm like, yeah. Do you think that happens a lot? (laughs) I think you're great. You know, like, yeah, we should, we should collaborate on stuff. Um, But he was like an old school, like he knew shit from like way back in the day. And I was like, wow. You, and he kind of said like, yeah, I grew up watching this. He said, you guys really inspired like the kind of stuff we make uh, so far as like just filming stuff out in public and just not breaking character and to hell with if anybody knows what's going on, like you just go out and do it. Yeah. Um, Which he kind of took that formula and went to the moon with it. Like, right. He, he's uh, extremely successful now doing movies. And so it was kind of like this residual, like he's saying we inspired him, but then seeing everything he's done with the formula, like inspired me back. I was like, well, shit, man, like we should be fucking trying harder with the stuff we do. I did uh, last night. I watched the the film, The Dirties for the first time. I know oh, we sort you of just, talked dude, about it. What I just think? saw it yesterday. It was great, um, yeah. especially like not to spoil it or anything, but like fuck you said i was like holy shit this is i i feel bad laughing but it it was uh fantastic yeah that's a great movie big fan yeah but yeah we should uh we should possibly possibly do uh blackberry as a fire bros review soon yeah yeah i just watched it for the second time a couple nights ago oh look at you yeah oh it's a double watcher huh it's it's that good Mm -hmm. okay i've heard good things i do want to watch it I feel like there are a lot of movies out right now that are, uh, I don't really know how I would describe them, but besides like kind of like product advertisements, like what was that? There's like a movie about like a Nike shoe recently. Yeah, it's definitely, it's going that way. That looked like like, trash to me. Blackberry is different. I'll say that. Blackberry is, it's telling the story of, um, of, you know, what is more or less a failure, you know, and just like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's very different from like a lot of the other product placement movies because probably because it's not sponsored by blackberry um and yeah. he also like after the movie he like he did a q a and he uh 
So half like half of the inspiration for the movie was like not just the story of Blackberry. It was also like um I forget the name of it, but there's a book about the the team who made the original Doom video games. Oh. Um okay. and like kind of like the sort of like frat house mentality that went on behind the scenes and like how they it was just some guys goofing off and making games and kind of just like not really knowing what the fuck they were doing to some extent. Um, I haven't read it myself, but like I know a little bit about like some of the background behind that, and like that definitely also comes through in the movie. Hmm. Um, but anyway, it was cool to see him pop up on 64X. And I'm also I, I love Jay Weingarten too. Yeah. So that was cool. They were great, you know, like um so we used to do game days, which was a live event, uh like day-long, kind of like a mini our version of a, a convention expo, but it was just like one day in a hotel panel room. Yeah. And then we would take this trip to Disneyland. And when COVID hit, uh, we kind of had to shut it all down. And post pandemic, it hasn't really, the, things have changed so much with the way they run Disneyland. Um, yeah. <clears throat> it's not really possible to take, take the group to Disneyland. And let me say too, I worked so closely with Disneyland to make game days happen. Um, I'll take, you know, credit where credit's due. I, I, game days was kind of like my brainchild. I was the one who brought it to Mega 64. I said, like, we should do this convention. The other guys were like, we don't really know how to do that. I was like, just let me work on it and I will find, mm-hmm. I'll figure out a way to make it happen. And so I worked really closely with the hotels and with Disneyland and I kind of found Disneyland does not want you to bring 500 people to their park they they don't they don't fucking want that man you think that hey you think these guys hate money they want you to be a family of five that is what they are set up to handle i would ask them like hey we have a huge group like where can we get lunch all together they're like yeah i don't know i'd be like could we just block out a time at a restaurant and they're like well you know for like fifty thousand dollars we'll give you uh an hour at the Aladdin Oasis restaurant. And I was like, that's not really oh uh, yeah. <laughs> what I had in mind. And uh, yeah, like honestly, they, they were just like, no, dude, you know, come to the park and figure it out. And I was like, okay. you know what? Like, and I, I went there a few times and like, you know, shocking how well it worked, you know, given the limitations they put in place, it was pretty right. seamless. Yeah. You know, hey, meet up at this. I think it was just like there was just like different landmarks you can kind of meet up at. Hey, we're going to be here at two. We're going to go on here yeah. at five. Everybody meet up here at nine. We had to we had to put all that infrastructure in. I even asked Disneyland, we're bringing 500 people to your park. Can we get a group discount? They're like, check it out. Six dollars off per ticket. Wow. I was like, oh, so it's only one hundred and seventy two dollars now. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, times 500, that adds up. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I you do get the sense with Disney World, Disneyland, whatever, like uh, they do want it to be a totally immersive experience. And that is that is only totally immersive yeah. when it's just you show up with your uh, screaming children yeah. or whatever. And know? then even like riding the rides, you know, we're like in line for Space Mountain and they're like, how many are in your group? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> at least 50, really? you know, because we, yeah. we would split off into different groups. So it'd be like 50 people with me and 50 people with Rocco and 50 with Sean. And then like some people were just out doing their own thing. And I'd be like, we're all wearing a game day's shirt. So when you see the last person wearing a game day shirt, that's the last person in our group. And they would just, you'd see their brain scramble like, uh, um, okay. Um, well, let's wear, uh, I, I, I could let, I could let, uh, 16 of you in right now. And I was like, okay. 
there's definitely like I've definitely you see that with like bridal parties a lot where it's just like everyone's wearing oh friend of the bride or whatever and they're all wearing the shirt or whatever and they'll show up with like groups of like 50 people or whatever sometimes you know they don't you know I was really I really got the impression that this Disneyland is for like a family like two parents and three kids and that is what they are equipped to handle like multiple small groups but not one large group so it's safe to say that probably won't happen anytime soon. Well, now you have to yeah. reserve. Um, you have to like get a reservation to go to the park. So, what about um Super it's Nintendo just, World? It's just weird. So Super Nintendo World. I'm assuming you haven't been there. I have not. It's very small. It's very yeah. That makes sense. It's one. It's at Universal Studios, and it's one section of the park that is probably like the size of you know like a football field but cut in half and and like it's a box basically there's like one ride that you can do there and the rest of it is like little interactive experiences mm-hmm. if we brought 500 people to that place <laughs> dude it's not going to work it w- we would annihilate it and yeah it's i went in like may and it was like being inside a, a oven like, Jesus. oh God, it's all brightly painted colors. So the sunlight like just reflects back and forth and focuses in there. And because it's high walls and there's no ventilation, there's no breeze whatsoever. It was so <laughs> scorching hot. Being You're looking at Valley. Yeah. Yes, Jesus exactly. Christ. Well, hey, so. it's like, hey, some people go to Nintendo land. Everybody else go to Springfield. Some people show up at Harry Potter land and, you yeah. know, that's it. We did consider taking it to uh, Universal Studios and we considered taking it to Knott's. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, like, I don't really even need the theme park aspect of it because I yeah. got more enjoyment out of the game days event itself, which was kind of mm-hmm. turning into like a mini comedy festival. It would yes. be us. We would have Keith Apicary mm-hmm. uh, one year. We had Neil Hamburger. We had um, Buckwheat Groats do a comedy rap performance. We had Brandon DiCamillo from Jackass and CKY on Skype. Just taking personal phone calls with people. Um, the Aquabats showed up one year. Like, I just really loved getting really funny, famous people to come and perform, you know, and it's like a five hour block schedule. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was like my favorite kind of place. It was like tailor made for me. It was like a, a big comedy show slash convention slash hangout because like I would fly out there. And like I had a group of friends like who live in California who I would go to these things with. And it was like, OK, that was the one time a year I would see them. We get together for game days, you know, go to the convention at the hotel, you yeah. know, see the comedy shows, there's like a merch table and all this stuff. It was like, um, you know, I kind of missed, like I used to go to conventions like every year uh, for a long time with like my group of friends, like anime conventions. And that kind of fell off after a while. And I feel like game days, like, you know, kind of filled that in. And um, I definitely yeah. appreciated that a lot more. Like I still had fun at the theme park, but I, I appreciated like what you're saying, like the the show and the convention element to it a lot more than the um, waiting in line to go on the log ride. Yeah. So I could see it coming back just with that element. And then if you want to go to Disneyland or wherever, like do that on your own time. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. So with uh, 64X, it's kind of like that aspect of it. Just getting some funny comedy people to come contribute to our live stream that's on a five-hour block it's kind of like a digital version of that game days experience a little bit i could see that and um you guys have your uh second leg of your tour coming up soon don't you 
That is true. We did. Yeah. Um, so we did the last laugh tour um, back in 2021. Now we are doing the farewell tour. Every tour has a name that implies that we're breaking up. <laughs> yeah. So if we do it again, it might be like Mega 64 gone for good. We're dying. Yeah. Tour. <laughs> I don't know. That's but uh, yeah, we did the Midwest and the East Coast back in July. And in November, we're going to do the West Coast. So I think it's like San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, um, down into, I think we hit up Phoenix and... I know our last show is in Los Angeles. We're doing eight shows. Oh, we're going mm. to Canada as well. So. Oh, cool, cool. What, uh, Vancouver or something? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. And I've never been to Canada, so this will be my first time. Cool. Yeah, we uh, we both saw you in Chicago. It was a great show. Uh, sorry for the rat. Apparently, there was a rat on stage. I didn't see a rat on stage. I, kept I didn't, I didn't either. But like, what it's, who pointed that out? There was a rat. Like, was it like somebody like at the theater who was like, Hey, by the way, sorry, there was a rat. Yeah. A guy from the venue apologized that a rat ran across stage. And I was like, bro, if I saw a rat on stage, you would have heard screaming like from down the block, you know, it would have <laughs> yeah, been like, I seen from Dumbo. Everybody jumps on the right. chair. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I didn't see a rat on stage. And, yeah. uh, and I'm glad I didn't. Nah, I would have been fine if I saw. I mean, who cares? They're, I know Chicago's full of rats. It's the apparently whole reputation the, of the city. Apparently, we're the rattiest city, which I don't know. It's, New York has a rat czar yeah, that is in charge of rat. exterminating. Yeah. Well, Chicago doesn't, and that's the difference. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. We have a you bunch of those signs czar. up in alleys where it's like, don't feed the rats. Okay. Well. Yeah. Chicago is good, but you know what I noticed about Chicago? And can I be honest? Be brutally By honest. all means, yes. Please. I don't know what it is about Chicago, man. The audience there is so vocal. They were. I, kind of annoying. We, <laughs> we toured all over the Midwest. We've been all over the country, can I say? Because we've toured twice. Yes, yeah. Only in Chicago do people shout shit out the entire show. I don't know. And I'm on is. stage saying like, this isn't a conversation. <laughs> no, this is a show. It's so annoying Shut because up. this is also like a comedy mecca. You think people would be used to like knowing how to act at comedy shows here, but they're not. You know, it was fine. It was just, it was, it's the part of the, every city has a little bit of charm that makes it unique and it makes that city special. And the unique thing about Chicago is the audience, it, they get involved with the show. They shout shit at the show. They laugh yeah. and they heckle and they answer the the hypothetical questions and they just want to communicate during the show. It's weird. I feel it's, like I've never gotten that vibe, but I did notice that at the show. I don't know if that's, you know, like if that's a uh, city specific thing or if that was just like that specific audience or anything like that. I did appreciate Rocco telling people to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't experience that anywhere. You know, Milwaukee, Detroit, New York, Philly, Boston, They have Boston, fucking manners, Baltimore. I guess. We uh, don't. Only in Chicago were the people, like, talking at us the whole time. I so. feel like, like, I, I haven't done, like, a live comedy show in a while, but I feel like it did, it did still happen sometimes. Like, that, like, there was, like, one night, like, I was on a stand-up showcase, like, four years ago or something, and this guy... 
like everybody else in the room is quiet. And this one guy felt oh, like Oh, I he, remember this. Yeah. I don't think you were there for this one, actually. Oh, it was like this I, one guy. I remember had, a different one then. This because it happened so okay. fucking often, apparently. Well, like, yeah. This guy kept having a conversation with like everybody who went up. He's like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, it happened to me. It's like, I don't fucking care. Like, yeah, this is, I can't, I can't even see you. It's so dark out there. I don't know who you are. You're a disembodied voice who's annoying the shit out of me. I mean, and like, I, it was just, it was weird. Uh, it, I didn't mind it, but it was definitely like, didn't throw me off, but it kind of, it kind of warbled me a little bit because every other town, yeah, yeah. we would just be like, oh, what do you think of this? All right. And moving on. But in Chicago, I'd be like, I hate them. <laughs> like, it's okay. it's just awkward, yeah. And like and like for example, like this guy, like it was like the last comedian of the night, and the guy's like the, the last comedian goes up and he's just like, "You want the mic? You think it's so funny? Like, come up here, no, come up here, yeah." And like everybody in the audience was like so sick of his bullshit, they're like, "Yeah, go on, go on." Everybody's like cheering, he's like, "No, no, no!" And then he ended up getting so pissed off, he stormed out. He's like, "Fuck you!" And just like slams the door and leaves. Hell yeah! Hilarious. And he left his girlfriend there alone too. Wow. <laughs> God, she needs, a new, she needs a new guy anyways at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, I, I have to assume they broke up that night or stopped seeing yeah. each other. It I was that say, bad. I Go feel ahead. like I scroll TikTok a lot and you see a lot of comics that like do stand up sets and whatnot uh, post a lot of like their crowd work stuff, which a lot of times is like clapping back at a heckler sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I just got to wonder, because I think the point of doing that is like, oh, if you're actually like a working comic and you're going on tour, you don't want to put up like your your highlight reel of like all your best jokes so that by the time you like tour to a different city, someone's already heard your joke on Twitter, uh, on TikTok or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you see a lot of it. And I almost wonder if it's having like the reverse effect of people think that like. Oh yeah, I can do this more. Like I can. Oh yeah, right. no. The comics love when you because then they get to do this and then they they get their little moment or whatever. They can put it on TikTok. They can you know whatever. So like yeah, I wonder if that's like causing more people to heckle. I think it's also like hmm. social media has emboldened a lot of really stupid fucking people who don't need to have a voice. Not everybody needs a voice. And that's gonna sound bad out of a, out of context, but like there are a lot of people who could just stand to shut the fuck up. And no, I, I don't that, need context. I I agree. Like everybody, <laughs> not everybody I, needs a voice. Everybody yeah. is like, they get a little bit of traction on social media, and they're out in their real life, and they think that they're the most important person on the planet. They're the main character. They're such hot shit that they think that they have to be heard by everybody at all times in real yeah, life yeah. when they don't, and that happens at these comedy shows. And I think that's what we're seeing in more is because people are just so like. Uh, think real life more, shit posting. Yeah, really yeah. think they're a lot more important than they are, and like just don't have like the respect for like, hey, I'm at a show. This is not about me. People didn't came to or people didn't pay money to see me. Uh huh. You know what I mean? They paid right. money to see. Like it just pisses off everybody else too. Like it still was a great show, but like the I just remember like turning and like I'm like God, I wish this guy would shut the fuck up. You know, me. we were raised as kids to think like everybody's entitled to an opinion. And it's it's your big mistake and you're entitled to have it. And I was like, yeah, but that was before everybody had a fucking computer in their pocket. Nowadays, you're not entitled to an opinion. Shut up. Like you can have an opinion, but keep it to yourself. Uh, Unless you're an expert in what you're claiming to uh, have an opinion on. I don't want to hear it because. There are so many conflicting opinions out there. It's hard to sift through all of them. And you really need to be discerning about whose opinion you are taking to heart. 
Yeah. And yeah. it just, it would, life would be so much easier if you could just get like the valued expert opinions, uh, kind of like filtered out. So you just, you know, you're listening to like good inputs. Um, because in, in now that we've show, given everybody a megaphone and a platform, there's just yeah. a lot of bad input out there. It, it just, it couldn't be more easy to discern like who that person is at a comedy show. Gee, I wonder who I should listen to. Maybe the person on stage with a microphone. Everybody else, shut the fuck up. Please. Please. Yeah. I'm not Until- even saying please. You just listen. Just be quiet. Yeah. Just let the let the moment happen. Yeah. Anywho, uh, speaking of people with voices, we do have a few voicemails. Oh, okay. yeah. And Grant, we actually just had an extra one that yeah, just I got it came already. in. And I think it's I think it's important to play. Uh, I suppose so. Um, but yeah. Um if you want to leave a voicemail, uh 312-788-7361. You can also send an audio file to thoughtcopspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you don't want us to hear your voice and make fun of, you know, you do a little stutter or something and we all laugh at you. Uh, if you don't want that, we don't do that. But if you think that Never. we're going to do that and uh, you don't want that, you can just... Uh, Type a nicely worded email like Joe did and send that over to thoughtcopspodcast at gmail.com. Um, and with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, play three of these voicemails that we have here. Hey, Thought Cops, this is Shadow Fucks or sh- shit, fuck, Shadow Forks. I hope you're all happy. Dude forgot his own great, name. You're just going to have to bleep that out. I'm sorry. I was having a great day speaking with Mega64's finest. I'm Shadow Derek Fox. today. Derek, I have a question for you. I noticed recently that you folks had done a collaboration with the individuals from the hit Nirvana, the band, the show, famous for their We Shop channel. With a lyrics bit. Oh yeah, I didn't even realize that was them for the longest time. Hackers are some of the funniest pals since Mega sixty four, and I think Mega sixty four and Nirvana, the band, this show goes together like peanut butter and Tom and Jerry. And you need you need to like do more stuff with them. But no, in all seriousness, anything, any cool stories you can tell about like kind of collaborating with them or. Anything you can kind of tell my good pals here over at Thought Cops who may not know about the Nirvana the Band the show. We reviewed it. those people why they might like their content. Yeah, they're if they like yours, Derek, because I love your content and I love Nirvana the Band the show. Anyway, I think I'm going over a minute, so fuck. Anyway, have a great day, have a great week, and kick some ass out there. Kill some video games. They don't deserve life anymore. You got it, right. Shadow Fox. Shadow fucks out. Shadow fucks. I'm sorry. I think that wasn't an accident. I think he meant to say Shadow fo- fucks. Man, that's vulgar. He was. Yeah, that was too purposeful. Too purposeful. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, from what it sounds like, uh, your working relationship with Nirvana, the band, is pretty new, right? Yeah. I mean, I basically had one call with Matt um, Johnson. It was me, Rocco, and Sean. But, um, you know, we didn't really know what they were capable of contributing to our show. We didn't know the level of involvement they wanted to have. And yeah, they so, sort of made like a mini episode, more or less. Well, yeah, they did. But they're in the middle of working on some projects of their own. And so mm. they didn't even have a lot of time. We kind of prepped them um, 
you know, before we met with them, I kind of sat down and I wrote out a bunch of ideas. Um, I'm the ideas guy, you know, at Mega 64. Everyone needs one. Everybody yeah. has their special talent. And I do think that, uh, the thing that I contribute the most is actually like writing and scripting and planning stuff. That's kind of my forte. And so, yeah, I gave them this, uh, concept of like, we're going to need an announcer at Mega 64, 64X. Uh, every convention has a really annoying announcer, but you never see this person. It's always a disembodied voice. What if you play the announcer and the gimmick here is that you pre-record everything and you pre-record um, for every circumstance. So the bathrooms are open, the bathrooms are closed, the bathrooms are on fire, uh, you know, like every it's and then you make a documentary about that process. And Matt, you know, this is my first time on a phone call with him. He actually took the phone from the uh, took the call, did a FaceTime from the back of a moving car. Which I could never do. He like did the call with other people in the car. It was like showing them off on camera to us. And I was like, well, (laughs) hi, everybody else in the car. I guess you're in on the meeting too. But uh, he's such a, you know, meeting him and talking to him for that one time. It's obvious that he is very intelligent and very quick. And even before I was done explaining the idea, he was like, got it, got it. I I 100% understand. I know what you're I understand what you're saying. And I kept like explaining like, yeah, yeah. But and then you could do, uh, you could do this. He's like, nope, I get it. I, I know what you want. Uh, I can film this and I'll, I, the only thing is I can't edit it. So I'll send the video to you. So it ended up being like kind of a short call. And then he just took that little prompt and fucking went with it and then sent Amazing. us all this footage. Um, and then Rocco actually took the time to sift through it. I think Rocco watched a lot of Nirvana, the band, the show to kind of internalize their editing style. Mm-hmm. So Rocco put that together. Uh, they he, shot he it. And Rocco edited Amazing. It. I, yeah, I didn't right. know it was Rocco until I read it, like in the description. I'm like, I thought that they did this because it is like you said, just like the show. Yeah. Well, he's very much, uh, he's very good at like Rocco himself can adapt to different people's styles and he can mm-hmm. see what somebody has done and be like, I know how you did that. And he can replicate it very well. Very cool. So, um, and then too, we do have similar styles. They were influenced by us. We right. kind of traffic in the same type of comedy. So I think we understand the setup and punchline kind of flow of doing videos like that. So yeah. it, it just kind of like worked. Did you guys like cross paths like over the years at all, like at conventions or anything like that? I don't think so, but you know, they're also a lot of, in Canada. So yeah, like, they're in Canada. Know. So I yeah, don't think yeah. we did a lot of people. They're not allowed down here. We're influenced by mega 64. We're like, I came to a panel back in 2009. I was like, dude, I was 24 and you were 12. Like, I don't yeah, remember yeah. you. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Let's hit this next voicemail. Yeah. I think that that took care of all the questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Close enough. Yo, a few months back, Derek mentioned having a story about how he beat a speeding ticket. I think it was, but as far as I know, he has yet to tell it. So, uh, can we hear it? Yeah, Derek, can we get a Thought Cops exclusive on... I fought the law. I fought the law and I won, y'all. Wow. I beat the speeding ticket. You can beat a speeding ticket. I am living proof that it can be done. (laughs) Well, tell us. how, How did you do that? Listen. I'm going to tell you out the gate. I can't say if I was speeding or not. Okay. Legally, I'm going to leave that yeah, up don't to you. Leave that. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It doesn't. Fu- People always ask me like, were you speeding? And I was like, that's not the point. Doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter if I was or if I wasn't speeding. It doesn't matter if I was accused of going 90 something miles an hour. Was I really doing it? That's not the point. Could the police prove that I was doing it? That was the point. Okay. And they could not prove it. They couldn't prove it. And I got this speeding ticket. And immediately I was like, this is bullshit. I was driving to Disneyland, actually. Or maybe I was driving to like Knott's Berry Farm. I was going to a theme park in Los Angeles. And I'm from San Diego. So it's a long drive. You want to get there fast. That's all I'm going to say. And I got this speeding ticket. It was like eight in the morning. And I didn't let it ruin my day. I stayed positive. I just put it in the back of my brain like, I'm going to fight this. And as soon as I got home from the theme park, <clears throat> I Googled search how to fight how to fight a speeding ticket. And there's actually a Reddit post about it where this guy breaks down everything you have to do. Um, and it's basically like immediately write down what happened from your point of view. Write down every detail you can remember because when you start to build your case, all of these details are going to lend to your credibility that you remember the events. What time of day was it? Where were you? What was the weather like? What was the sun position like? <laughs> what was the temperature? You know, like, where yeah, were you yeah. going? Who was in the car with like every detail you can remember? What did the cop do? What did they look like? How did they um, smell? How did they smell? Yeah. Important. And basically, I made this argument uh, via a letter. And then the second thing they said is file for extensions. Delay it as much as you can, because that mm -hmm. will give you. It's basically going to come down to your word versus the police officer's word. Yeah. And if you do it after a month, the cop will remember you probably, but you can delay it and delay it and delay it. I think up to like three times, you can delay it by like nine months or something like that. Don't quote me on that. Look it up for yourself. But I delayed it like almost a year. I kept uh, writing them for extensions. It probably also depends on like what state you're into, you know, this was for California. Yeah. And eventually after I delayed it for as long as I could, my final letter to them was pleading my case. And I basically looked up, um, how does a police officer know that you're speeding, right? Good they question. have the traffic gun where they can like get your radar um, or they do something called pacing, which I found out where a cop will drive behind you at the same speed as you and they'll look at how fast they're going and be like, well, you're at least doing that. So I actually made this diagram in Photoshop and I explained the story that <laughs> when the when the cop pulled me over, I was in the farthest left lane of the highway next to a wall. So there's no way the cop could have been using a radar gun and getting me on the left side. And I said, if he was using a radar gun, he would have to have been four or five lanes over from me with cars passing in between me and the police officer. Sure. So had he used a radar gun, there's no way to say if he tagged me or if he tagged another car in between me and him. So that immediately like eliminated, like you can't, can't get my speed on a radar gun. Then I said that we were driving on a curve and I looked in my rear view mirror and I saw a cop car. Uh, it was a police motorcycle actually approaching me from behind as I was approaching dead stop traffic. Like there was traffic jam that I was driving into. So I was kind of like slamming on my brakes. And I remember the cop came up to me and he rolled down my window and he said something like, I got you going like 90 miles an hour towards a dead stop. 
right? That's, those are the words he said to me. So I wrote that down in my report too. And I made this argument that like, um, can't believe I'm explaining all this. <laughs> well, this is, this is helpful. This, this is, is helpful. riveting. I made this argument that, uh, clearly because we were on a curve and I had come around the curve, the cop had lost sight of me from whenever he had, uh, seen me supposedly going over the speed limit. And I made the argument that as he was approaching me, he was speeding up to catch up to me while I was slowing down. So if he was looking at his speedometer to get my speed, that's not actually reflecting my speed. That's reflecting his speed. That is true. Trying to catch up to me. And I had already passed him. And then the final thing they said is you have to supply an alternate explanation for what happened. And I said, I believe that the police officer did witness a similar car speeding, uh. but then lost sight of that car coming around the curve and approached me, assuming it was that car to which I was already slowing down and he was speeding up. So you can't say if, if it was my car that was speeding and you can't say what my speed was. So how are you going to hit me with a speeding ticket? And I won. And that, that I, is I, amazing. That is amazing. But I got to ask, was it worth the effort? Honestly, was it oh, worth it? It's a hundred percent worth the effort. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's I was what, looking like at 90 bucks, hundred bucks. It was like 170, it was like 200 bucks, $172. Oh and it would have been a point on my uh, license. And I think I would have had to oh, do like traffic yeah, yeah. school. So it was a hundred percent worth it. Yeah. And I actually wrote the check and I paid the ticket and I mailed it with my case and they refunded me my check. So that's what happened. Amazing. I paid it off and I was like, but I don't think I'm guilty and this is why. And then they sent me the check back and they're like, yeah, we find you not guilty. There you go. Hell yeah. I've Exclusive. heard sometimes heard here first, folks. Sometimes if you just show up to court and if the police officer that's like charging you doesn't show up themselves, that they're just like, you win. Yeah, but this was two hours away because I live in San uh, Diego and this was closer to Los Angeles. Mm. And I didn't have to show up. I just wrote a letter and I won. Amazing. That's good. Yeah. I had a client one time that um got a got some sort of a ticket in Wisconsin. And then had to keep showing up to court in Wisconsin, you know, like two hours away sort of thing, two hour drive. And like, uh, there was something about like Wisconsin laws and their ability to like suspend his Illinois license or something like that. And so he had to keep driving up there. And, uh, like, uh, the, the people that were like prosecuting him sort of thing were like, kept like having to delay themselves so he'd like drive up to wisconsin they'd be like oh we can't do your court case today actually something happened and he'd like have to drive all the way back so he was up and down to wisconsin like two or three times it's fucking stupid they don't care about you they're just making money it's just a business to them truly pretty Uh, much speaking of business um let's get the last voicemail hey hot cops uh this is your good buddy, and I think you know who it is calling in. Um, yeah. I think you're for real, like, literally in the middle of the episode with Derek. So if it doesn't play in this one, it's no big deal. I won't hold it against you. Um, I fucking, dude, I got to tell you, Internet Crime Report, shit that's been driving me up the wall is uh, the, the woke nonsense of the so-called classic Hollywood film, Brokeback Mountain. It's it's apocryphal and insane to imagine that two cowboys might be gay. 
and I think that that's insane. I actually had a, a, a proposed fix to this. Oh Perhaps AI I know this or CGI could be used in, in effect to go back and, and right this wrong. I thought it would be much cooler if they were uh, both, neither were gay, but instead hated each other, like classic cowboy style, and uh, wanted to kill each other and fight. And uh, at the same time, there is a, a tornado that's ripping through the area, some, some sort of uh, wind event that uh, takes them both up into the sky along with the town, creating uh, mayhem and destruction around them. But their, their hate for each other is so severe, almost more severe than their penis butt gay love, that um, they continue to fight while airborne in the hurricane instead of um, <laughs> Brokeback Mountain. It's called Brokeback Fucking Dudes Fighting in a Hurricane. I thought that would be good improvement that's my two minutes of hate folks give me your stink give me give me your thinks give me your thoughts let me know what you're fucking what you think of that that okay, noise that, that might right. need a, that might need a bit of brief explanation that needs maybe a lot of context so okay first of all that was that was our friend that was a friend slime that that was the man who brought together nirvana the band and mega 64 for one show one day only oh. uh that was him and what what he's what what he's referencing is uh an infamous post in our discord server <laughs> okay. From so, somebody who's no longer there, and I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna find it and read it here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say his name. <laughs> I'm not gonna say his name. It's just funny because this morning, I, I like, feel like I saw this sort of come up, but it, my yeah, eyes just kind of glazed over a little bit. And I didn't like, really pay attention to it. It was from like earlier this year. Uh, somebody who's no longer there had a post, and then for some reason, Slime just randomly thought about it today and like reshared it <laughs> in the server. And then <laughs> here, right. here's the full quote. This guy says, "Nah." You know what movie they should make? Brokeback Tornado. <laughs> but instead, but instead of two dudes fucking, it's two dudes fighting outside during a tornado, and they become airborne and continue the fight in the skies. Apropos of nothing. <laughs> Apropos of absolutely nothing. So the context is there's no context. The context is just I was reading someone else's insane thought. Yeah, nice. he just out of nowhere, he's just like, you know what? Brokeback Mountain. Fuck that. How about Brokeback Tornado? And no one's gay, and instead they're fighting, and also there's a tornado happening. And like, well, no. Well, they could, would... they could still be gay and fight each other, you know? I, I think. No, he did clarify they're not, though. In this one, they're, they're not. <laughs> For some reason, it's like almost like he's, he's like. like had, it's like, what is this, like, homophobic reboot of, like, Brokeback Mountain, where we just forget they're gay because of tornado <laughs> the whole point of the movie. Like, all gay people are incapable of fighting each other. Like, there's no personal beefs. Yeah, believe it or not. In the you queer can, community, there's too much, yeah, too much no, love. You yeah. cannot be homosexual and fight each other if there's a giant tornado happening at the same time. You yeah. just turn straight. Yeah, that's actually uh, how the third Matrix movie ended, and it was, uh, you know... Basically, kinda, yeah, kind of terrible. So that movie already exists. You know, oh my God. happy, happy to say to that person that movie does exist. It's <laughs> called Matrix Revolutions. I no, it's Matrix Reloaded. I don't. Remember. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Whichever. Yeah. There, there's actually. I don't want to. I don't want to pile on this guy too much. But there's one more quote here that somebody else please read it. Resurfaced here from um, again earlier this year, <laughs> earlier this year. Where he says, I've been getting such a... <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face. I've been getting such a crazy rush from holding hot plates from the oven directly after coating my hands in cold water. It's like I'm rolling the dice on whether or not I will get burnt. And then he sends two dice emojis. He says, I haven't got burned yet, but let's see how long I can keep it up. Okay. And this guy... That's pretty we, funny. There's no irony to this. Like This guy was like straight up like trying to be cool. 
Yeah, man, I just straight up coat my hands in cold water and see how long I can hold a hot plate from the oven. Again, nice. no fucking context for any this is, of this. This is no a good uh, segment we can maybe Unfortunately, sort of he was unable to type about the time he burned his hands because his hands were so severely burned. He want to tell us that right. he or lost no. the use of them. He was afraid he'd lose our respect. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, this is a good segment. We can uh, weave this segment <laughs> into season two. Um, I mean, honestly, why the fuck not? Just like dogpiling on like everything one guy said. I mean, I kind of feel bad, but I also don't like. Well, it's um, you know, it's content content I, everything's I, I, content yeah well thank you for the thank you for the message slime yeah appreciate um, it yeah thanks for explaining that to me i was confused <laughs> i was confused too i <laughs> no i just, I just I thought woke that up. our good friend slime was homophobic for some reason it seemed out of character but. yeah no it was strange until i realized no because he like randomly like i don't know why he was thinking about it this morning but he like pulled this like thing from like almost a year ago out of nowhere <laughs> up and he said just remembering this and can't stop smiling. And it was the quote from the Brokeback Tornado pitch. Brokeback Tornado. Oh it's always God. the greatest when like something jogs your memory and you think about that <laughs> and then you spend like hours <laughs> trying to search for it and then you find it and you're like, Dude. oh my God, I found it. <laughs> and you're like, I'm, oh, I'm, it's not as funny as I remembered. I just wasted three hours. Sometimes Dude. it's funnier than you remember. That is true. <laughs> In hindsight. And, like, there was... um. And I, I don't know if I should even say this, but there was like a, a certain internet comedy group that had a controversy recently. And I um, I was like kind of following it a little bit. I'm not going to say who they were. You could probably guess. But they had like a mailbag episode. And, like I, and I just randomly remember this where like <laughs> our, our editor's wick sent them a big blanket with our friend Asterios Kokonos' face on it, thinking it would be good promotion for his podcast. And then they opened the blanket on the show and were like, who is this guy some kind of famous pedophile or something? And just like showing his big face on the blanket with no context. And it was just like, they could not, they could not have backfired any worse. No, <laughs> don't call him a pedophile. Yeah. It just was uh, like, oh my God, dude. You just, never you know. know what? I fucking love stuff like that. It's what happens when you try to control the narrative. It always backfires. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if oh. that inspired you, if you have if you have any anything you want to remember from the any Discord server specifically, uh, give us a call 312-788-7361 or send us an uh, email or audio file to thoughtcopspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, again, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash thoughtcops. We review the we review Barbenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie separately um, and as well as a lot of other stuff. And we got more coming soon. So check that out. Uh, Derek, before we go, where can people find you and let us know again, where they, where can they find phobia? Yeah. So go to Kickstarter and look up phobia F O B I a, and you will see my horror anthology comic. It is apparently the number one anthology on Kickstarter right now. And it's all fully advertised, marketed, created by me. Um, you can find me, uh, on the mega 64 YouTube channel, still writing and creating, content for them and other than that i mean those are my two focuses right now mega 64 and my comic book i have creative projects in the works so i guess you can follow me on instagram at dedrick acosta you can follow me on twitter at uh gustafo g-o-o-s-e t-o-f-f-o-h yeah i've been following you've been you've been also 
obviously this is a conversation for perhaps another time, but you've been doing a lot of music videos too. I direct music videos here in San Diego. That's something I've been doing for a long time. I think I did my first one in 2011. Uh, Anything upcoming you want to promote real quick, specifically? Just follow my YouTube channel and you'll see. I mean, it's a lot of like sporadic stuff. I mostly do it for my friends here in San Diego. Um, You know, the music video thing has... It went up for a while. It's kind of come down now. Music videos is like weird, you know? Yeah. Um, The whole music industry is very like, you have to know somebody. So to do it as an independent artist from the outside, I really just do it for fun because I like being a filmmaker and I just like making cool stuff. Um, And, you know, I'm working on a couple short films that I'm either acting in or on the crew on here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, God, you... And like, I mean, I, we, again, we could easily have you on for another appearance and talk about so much more stuff. Cause I feel like yeah. you were doing like a lot of stuff. God, I wish I, uh, we'll save it for next time, but I want to ask you about that play you were in and stuff like that too. But dude, I did a play. Um, yeah. I ended up being a producer on the play kind of unwillingly. I got sucked into that role. Uh, I did write a lot of the Mega 64 live show. So that helped mm-hmm. with, uh, and directed that. So that helped like just been doing a lot of live stage stuff. And uh, I don't think a lot of people even know this. I got cast in an independent horror feature film that is going to be shooting in April. So that'll probably be available next year. Cool. Um, I'm staying busy. I'm doing a lot of stuff. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. But my comic cool. is the number one thing that is uh, at the forefront here. That's the current big project for me. And yeah. uh, there's like tw- there's like three weeks left to to get in on it. If you want to pick it up and get a copy, go to Kickstarter and look up Phobia. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's get Derek over the line here. He's he's so close. If you give him like five bucks, you could be the last five bucks he needs. You never know. Yeah, you can give me however much or as little as you want. Yeah, but just go 10, check it out. Or 15, we're, we're, I'm, or 20. Not, I'm not looking for money. I'm looking for people. I need five hundred people to join this campaign in some capacity. So check it out. And if there's anything, and I'll tell you what, I'll add this: if you are interested in making your own comic book, I put together a behind the scenes rewards here. That is a list of all of the uh, literature I read about comic books and making mm-hmm. them. So I, how I learned how to make comics, and it's the script template that we used. And this is something that's hard to find. Nobody has like comic book scripts are really rare. You can't really find uh, yeah, them anywhere. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. I feel like I'm coming up with like all the good stuff at the end, but I feel like that's got to be at least a little bit different than writing a script, right? It is. It's a hundred percent. Like there is no real like educational system on how to write a comic. A lot of comics are created by an illustrator who writes and draws it themselves and then I don't know what it is. Maybe the industry protect, protects their trade secrets. But how do you write a comic for somebody else to, to illustrate it? Well, I right. put together a package with the literature I read on writing comics, the script template that we developed to use that we actually sent out to make this comic. And very cool. there's yeah. uh, sample scripts from Phobia. So you can kind of like see what the script said and then compare it with the book itself to see how it all translated. That's actually super helpful. I mean, to be honest, like I've been mulling over the idea of like teaming up with somebody to write or, you know, I would write it. They would draw it. I have an idea for something I've been working on for a while. So, shit, I may have to take a look at that. Uh Uh-huh. The behind the scenes package is up there. I want to educate the people so they can make their own comics. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Phobia Horror Comic Anthology now on Kickstarter. Go check it out. Derek, thank you so much for coming back on the show, man. Thank you, Thought Enforcement Agency. And thank you for the respect, yeah. 
Yeah, you deserve it. Appreciate that. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, We'll see you on the other side. Uh, See you, Space Cop. Space Cop.